What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> a little bit beefier, kind of a hula stick kind of thing. All right, let's set it up real quick. Before we start fishing, let's set it up. All right. I'm Chase Winnegar, host of the podcast, Lee McClellan, co-host. I hope everyone's doing as well as we are right now. <laughs> We're out here <laughs> at Elkhorn getting ready to do some fishing, and we have a third person with us today who is who's out here for a completely unrelated reason, but that's Tim Sherrard. Tim, say hi. Hello. Tim is a uh, video producer for Kentucky Field TV. And we just got a new camera, so we're doubling up what we're doing here today. Tim has this camera out. He's practicing with it, getting used to the functions on it. And I said, Tim, if you're going to be here, we got to put a mic on you because if we start talking to you, if you see a bald eagle, you know, <laughs> we start having a conversation, we need you to have you mic'd up. But mm -hmm. for the most part, Tim's going to be walking around with the camera, getting shots of the creek, getting shots of wildlife, just practicing with the camera. But if we have a random person chime in at any point in time, you know who it is. Yeah. It's Tim. He's basically our uh, podcast producer today. today. Yes. Because we have wireless mics on and uh, won't be able to monitor the equipment. Because we're getting ready to wait out here in this creek, Lee. Yes, I am ready. You're, oh, look at this bait ball. It's going to be, uh, you know, the thing about fishing while doing a podcast is trying to explain to people what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. It's so, beautiful today. <laughs> so we're at Elkhorn Creek, Frankfort, Kentucky. We're just wade fishing. And basically, what I'm looking at here, the creek is flowing from our right to our left. Mm -hmm. We're on the uh, west side of it. Mm -hmm. And we have a riffle above us that dumps into a big slack water pool right here with kind of a sandbar that, that reaches out to it. And we're, we're wading out onto the sandbar. Yep. And then about 80 yards downstream, the creek goes to the left and runs past a rock island. You may hear it. Yeah, you might hear that, I'm not sure, but it runs past a rock island through a pretty long, swift riffle. Mm -hmm. I've caught fish all through here. What are you throwing firstly? I'm gonna start off with the uh, Ned Rig worm, the TRD. I've had great luck with these down here before. Yeah, that's like a two and a half or three inch, yeah, extremely stretchy, soft plastic. And uh, the, the action is just really, really subtle. I've got a Kitech crawfish imitator on here. It's kind of a peanut butter and jelly colored. Oh, it's looking. a peanut butter on one side, jelly on the other. And I will probably uh, throw a few other lures along those lines. I'm going to try a swim bait sometime today, too. So, so really, when, you, when we walk down here to the creek, Lee, mm -hmm. what's the first, like, so that first cast you just took was upstream towards the riffle, right? Yes. What, is there a certain reason for that? Do you have oh, a certain? I always, I, I, um, I always prefer to fish. It, you can't do it as much when you're floating, but when you're waiting, you can, I always prefer to fish upstream, upstream to downstream. Just because of the scent and the silt and the things scent like that? And, and then that's where the bait would be coming to. Well, that's kind of a trick out west for fly fishermen is to uh, always fish upstream. I feel like people kind of get lost on that technique here, but that's mm -hmm. since I was a, you know, in high school wade fishing a lot of creeks, that's always something I've done because when you walk, I mean, you're kicking up silt and sand and mm -hmm. dirt and it probably doesn't affect all the fish, but if they've been caught a couple of times, they might, they might get a little boogered up by it. Yes. Yeah. I think it, it definitely, if you silt up a hole before you fish it, I think it puts them down a lot of times. The uh, basically when I walk down to the creek, the first thing I do is just take exploratory cast. Mm -hmm. You know, take one up shallow, take one out in the middle, and I just basically will work from left to right or right to left, kind of fan casting yes. all around to try to yeah, search. I like to and, quarter everything. Search and figure out where they're at. Where they're at, and then try to reproduce it if you can. 
I will say that we've got a lot of sand here around us, mm -hmm. and I saw a smallmouth on a nest when we walked in. There's a, I mean, we just walked out to this island, so we might have boogered it up, but we might want to turn around and look in the shallows behind us here mm -hmm. in a little bit too. Yeah, I agree. I've caught several here through the years. This is a really good stretch. Uh, which part of Elkhorn isn't a good stretch though? No, no, that, all the main stem is good water. You know, but this for fishing um, from, from uh, Indian Head or Pinnacle Rock, whichever you want to call it, downstream I think is the better water. Um, the other is fun, but um, it's not quite as good a fishing from the forks down to Indian Head Rock. Getting a bite, getting a bite, feels like a sunfish. See my rod tip? Yep. Hey, that's a, I always like when I'm getting pop, 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 pop. Well, you know, uh, the reason I said it felt like a sunfish, because a lot of times the smallmouth might be one, two, and then you feel the pull, like mm -hmm. peck, peck, pull, or just you feel the straight pull, but that was just peck after peck if after it's peck. peck, 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 yeah, it's a long ear sunfish, or it could be a little rock bass, too. Oh, I, I love catching rock bass, though, personally. Well, do you eat them? I don't. I, I really want to, but Some you know. Some people really like them. The thing about rock bass is I'll get out there and I'll catch one and I'll toss it back and I'll catch a second one and I'll toss it back and then about the time I get number three or four I realize I'm going to catch a lot of these today mm -hmm. and I want to start keeping them but I you know I've already been tossing them back at that yeah, point. Yeah that's that that's that happens. So I'm on cast number three now. There's a is that a heron up there? It's a bunch of birds. Well there's a rookery somewhere in this float. So what are you writing about right now, Lee, for the, uh, you have a well, fishing frenzy? Well, I just frenzy. finished a, a piece that, uh, on um, how to plan a float trip. How, so that would kind of go hand kinda, in hand with what we're doing today. Yes, and it's, it's, it's geared more toward people. What, what we've had happen from the pandemic and uh, other things is kayak uh, sales are through the roof. Yeah. And a lot of people are buying kayaks at department stores and whatnot. And then they're just going straight to the creek, putting in and, and not having any idea about how to go about it in a safe manner. And we've had, we've had some incidents over the past year, year and a half. Of, Unfortunately, way too many. Uh, of Yes, of, of people getting in trouble, just, and it's just mainly due to inexperience. So this article is about how to avoid getting in trouble <laughs> Did and you how see to plan things out. And you know, you need to go practice before you take on moving water. You need to go somewhere that's uh, safe and flat water and learn how to paddle. Um, you know, Nathan Deppenbrock suggested that, you know, go to a, a boat ramp and uh, intentionally uh, flip your kayak before you go out, just so you can get used to the feel and swim it back to the, up the boat ramp, just to get used to it. Because inevitably, you know, always prepare when you're floating that so, you're going to be wet and you're going to flip. So you're saying go purpose. So that is good practice to go purposefully flip your kayak somewhere you know you can get out of the water pretty easy. Yeah, uh, boat ramp's perfect. Like at say uh, one of our small state-owned lakes, like say Beaver Lake, or so you flip you know, it. And Elmer. It, you know, a lot of the kayak, you know, some of them have an enclosed hole where they can't fill up with water. Mm -hmm. But a lot of those wreck boats people are buying from department stores can fill up and sink. Yeah, you know, so it's a whole different thing flipping one of those kayaks where you're trying to drag. Mm -hmm. And all that sit water inside, or they don't have any scupper plugs. That's why yeah. if, if you're going to buy one, get to sit on top because they self-bail. Sit insides work. A friend of mine has one. He loves it. He's got a he's got a nicer one. But those can, and if you get into heavy standing waves in a sit inside, they will break over. Oh, there's one of your gar. Oh, did you see a gar? Yep, right there. I might have to switch baits. I don't mind catching garley. 
um, they fight. That's something I've always wanted to try eating too. I just got a smoke. I saw I saw you start to lean forward to set the hook. I think it was uh, what happened to you a minute ago. Bang. I saw a smallmouth chasing bait over here a moment ago. There's a kayaker down from us. Oh. Where do they come from? I don't know. They, they didn't pass us, but they're downstream all of a sudden. Maybe he was pulled over or something. He had to we, be. Or he drug it upstream and is going to float back down to the tonight's bridge. Oh, that's a lot of work. Yeah, that is a lot of work. Yeah, well, suddenly a kayaker magically appeared downstream from us. Man, it's a beautiful day. Oh, it's just, I love May. I'll May you, is my favorite month. Another uh, species of fish, you pointed out the gar. I see a lot of carp in this area of the creek also. Oh yeah, there's a lot of carp in here. And that's something I've been wanting to learn how to target. Cause I mean, they're everywhere and mm -hmm. they're huge fish. I and mean, they fight like crazy. That's All what carp fight like crazy. I don't think people realize how strong they are. No, they pull like. So we went out and filmed a piece on, uh, I think it was late last week. Mm -hmm. It might've been early this week. I, I'd have to look back at my calendar, but um, with a guy who specifically targets carp and his method for catching them was really interesting. He's, what did he do? Did he chum? Well, he had what's called a method lead. Have you ever seen one? It's a, it's a big egg sinker that basically has a grate built onto it. And he packs that with his, with his uh, pack baits, what he called it, but it's basically chum. It's like that mix you see where people make it out of. Yeah, and they know, take like a slingshot and shoot it into a. Well, he, so he, he, he packs bank? his sinker full of that stuff. Okay. Instead of shooting it out there with a slingshot. Mm -hmm. And it's basically breadcrumbs and egg and strawberry jello and stuff like that. Yeah. And then he just uses little rubber pieces of fake corn, extended like with a six or eight inch leader. <laughs> rubber corn, not even real corn. And he said that scent coming off the method lead will draw the fish in. And they see the fake corn and eat it. Yeah, something about that yellow color of the fake corn. They, they inhale <laughs> the fake corn that's next to the scent. Hey, there's two. Two kayakers now. I'm surprised we haven't seen anybody float by. I know this. Well, we've only been here about 15 minutes too though. This creek gets a lot of pressure. It does. That's I love you, it, but that's. I got to move to your right, Lee, because there's a spot over here that I can't not take a cast at. Oh, that's fine, brother. You see where the water's coming through pretty quick on the right? I'm going to try to visualize this for listeners. You see, we got the water coming through in front of us mm -hmm. from right to left, but over here near us, it's slack. And there's basically a point where the water is, it's coming downstream, it's all moving, and then right off this point, that creates a slack water mm -hmm. area. And I always like those areas where the water goes from moving downstream to standing still. Basically that current seam is always a spot to, if, if there is a hungry fish, that's a spot for a hungry fish to sit. Because mm -hmm. they can sit in that slack water and just watch to see what comes down in the current. So I'm gonna make a cast over there, overshot it by about two feet to the left. You can get back in there. Yeah, I'll get back in there. I'll just wait out a little closer. That was basically on this, the- This hole is deceptively deep. That was basically the outer limit of my casting range, so move a couple feet closer. Oh, I just got bit. Yeah, I've been getting panged, but it's not been. Uh, I'm thinking a lot of these are sunfish. A lot of sunfish. Oh, right. Lee, do you know anything about what's going on with the weather right now? I've heard this is the coldest May on record. It it is. I think March may have been one of the coldest Marches on record as well. Because this though the water right now it's about midway up my shins mm -hmm. and it's definitely colder than i would have expected yes i'm going uh out of state next week to float 
for five days and today was going to decide whether or not I'm bringing waders. And uh, I'm bringing waders. <laughs> I mean, I wear them every day, but uh, you know, on days like in May, it'll be beautiful 80 something during the, uh, you know, mid afternoon, but you get seven or eight o'clock at night and it starts to cool off dramatically. And if you're soaking wet, I've been as cold in May as I've ever been in my life on yeah. a float. <laughs> well, I didn't wear waders and it rained and I got soaked and uh, Lord, I was miserable. There was one other thing I had to ask you about, Lee. Yes. Since our last podcast was pre-derby and we had our derby talk. I got a lot of messages, by the way, from people who enjoyed your sped up stories. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm glad glad we sped them up. (laughs) I mean, the Derby is crazy. The infield was crazy back in the day. Yeah, those weren't for public consumption. I'm glad you sped them up. But, you know, uh, I hit the Oaks Derby double. So I did a a bet, um, and I used uh, Malthot, and uh, I used uh, Medina Spirit. And I hit that. It paid for my day. So, I mean, since we talked Derby on the last podcast, and this has probably been the most controversial Derby ever, mm-hmm. at least since two years ago. Yes. When, uh, when, when was the one where they had the inquiry? That was 2019, when, oh, two uh, years when they ago. took down maximum security. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts? Give me a quick rundown of the Derby situation. Well, um, you know, people, it's been reported that, you know, it's not like this, what, what, what he got caught with was, was completely legal, and a lot of trainers use it. However, you, you have a withdrawal period. It has to be out of the system by, um, you know, by 14 days. You know, yeah. you got a 14 day, and, and every horse's metabolism is different. And I think the big race, you know, he, he took a, he took a risk and uh, he paid for it. Yeah. So what what was the medication used for? Skin rash is what. Yeah, he said it was a skin rash, but it's used commonly for soreness. It's an anti-inflammatory. Okay. So no no and, uh, benefits to the horse in the race. Well, I I just don't see a, a 21 picograms. That's 21 trillionths of a milliliter, you know, or something along those lines. It's a trace. I doubt it affected it, but at the same time, rules are rules, and especially for the Kentucky Derby. Um, and it may have been an honest mistake, but as we've all seen over the past couple of years, um, that particular trainer seems to have a more honest mistakes than the other ones also in his more. mind and excuses so i don't want to disparage anyone but uh yeah yeah you know, like i said it's a situation so, all i know about it is what i've heard about it you yeah. know but you know uh unfortunate and i think he's probably learned a lesson tell me about your setup lee what what pound line what type of line everything like well that, or... you know that's funny because i bought the rod i'm casting right now from you oh yeah the e6x <laughs> it's a g loomis ex6 um light power six foot a little shorter rod than i grew up in the era where a six foot rod was your average and uh, very few people had much longer than six feet back in the 70s and 80s five and a half foot medium uh power fast action baitcasters were the norm with a pistol grip back then so i grew up with a little i'm used to fishing a little bit shorter rod than people who may have come of age 20 years later than i did but um and it's light power i can throw up to five sixteenths but i don't recommend it i think about uh, one-eighth is about as heavy as I'll ever throw on this, and I've got some six-pound line that is coated with fluorocarbon, but it's copolymer underneath, and it has almost no memory. It's my favorite line. So if you were uh, going to give somebody advice to go creek fishing, say they weren't very familiar with it, is that kind of the setup you would? I would, and you know, anymore, I would, I would, 
uh, caution to go ahead and get a, maybe a six and a half foot rod. Yeah, I like or a, a seven rod. foot rod. They're more forgiving. You can cast them further. Um, they're not as accurate as a shorter rod, but but the advantages outweigh the uh, disadvantages. Oh, I think I might have caught something, Lee. What do you have? Doesn't feel very big. Mr. Smalley? Smalley. I'd say, oh, he's pretty, about four pounds. Four and a half pounds. That's, that's the beauty that's of a- That's the smallest four and a half pounder I've ever seen. That's the beauty of an audio- <laughs> yeah. I've never seen an 11 inch or weigh four and a half pounds. <laughs> I don't know if I'd give him 11 inches, Lee, but he's thick and healthy. Hey, who cares? Yep, fish is a I fish, right? I want one on my rod. No, that you was know, about a- You know, we're coming off of a bad, we've had this nor'easter going on for a week. When you say that, you mean a northeast wind? Yes. And uh, north and, and I don't believe too many of the old wives tales about fishing, but the one winds out of the east, fish bite least, uh, is 100% true. I'm kind of wondering if our wind is gonna be able to be heard on this podcast, because right now you can tell I, I can't monitor audio out here, mm -hmm. you know, remotely from the creek. But what that fish, I don't know if you've seen where my last couple of casts have been, Lee, but I basically, here we go. Oh, I just missed another one. So I'm basically casting upstream and there's a, a drop off here next to a big root wad, kind of look like it's cover on the bank. There's roots that go down into the water and it's next to deep water. So my idea is that that's a spot fish can hide out and wait to ambush mm -hmm. just out of the current. They have cover and it's a likely spot for minnows and crayfish to be too. Yep. So I'm casting this crayfish imitator up next to those root wads and I'm literally fishing about a foot off of the, uh, the bank is where my bait's hitting. But that's where that fish came from, and I just got another bite, and he yanked my bait down. So, rethread this back up. I'm worried this wind is going to be pretty audible on the podcast. I don't think it. It may not be too bad. We can't forget Tim over here. He's walking around with his DSLR, taking or not a DSLR. It's a it's a handheld Canon camera. What are you uh seeing, Tim? You got any questions? You got? I mean, you're you're not new to fishing, but you know, not quite as gung ho as. Flea and myself have been up to this point, you know, you're kind of getting into it more and more. Yeah, I think when I like approach a new body of water or a creek or anything like that, I'll, my first question is, you know, what type of weight should I use with the flow of water and everything like that? Because mm -hmm. you don't want it to uh, be too heavy or too light. So, well, I'll tell you some really good questions to ask yourself when you walk down to the, say you were going to go, like you've never fished here before, right? Mm -hmm. In this exact spot we're fishing. So you did bring a fishing rod. It's laying over there on the bank and here in a little bit, you'll pick it up. But if I was going to walk down to a spot like this for the first time, my questions would be, what type of fish are, am I targeting? Mm -hmm. You know, okay, smallmouth bass. What's their main food source? And in yeah. a creek like this, it's going to be crawfish. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or minnows. I'm throwing a crawfish imitator, Lee's throwing a minnow imitator in a way. So I'm looking at what type of fish am I wanting to catch and what do those fish eat? Because that gives you right off the bat an idea of what you might want to throw. Yep. And then like you said, you're looking at the flow, how much weight do I need to get the presentation I want? So that, that would be probably my third question is based on the water level, what, what kind of weight am I going to need to get the presentation I want? based on the food source to catch the species of fish that I want. You know yep. what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's kind of just, fishing's kind of like problem solving where you just got to ask those questions to figure out the, the solution to the problem. Yeah. I think uh, one of my favorite parts of getting into fishing was just going to the store and looking at all these different types of bait. There's the a lot color. of options. Yeah, yeah, a lot of options and you kind of get overwhelmed, but it's also cool at the same time just to accumulate a lot of stuff in your tackle box and be able to bring it with you and one, just throw some stuff. One thing I'll say, cause I'm, I'm standing here right now, I'm knee deep in water. 
it feels great. It was a little chilly when I first got in, but I've got used to it and it feels great now. I'm looking upstream at this riffle coming down. We got a blue sky with scattered clouds. Everything's green around me. I just don't see, even if, even if you went out here and didn't catch a fish, I don't see how somebody could do it without enjoying it, you know? Yeah. I think uh, one of my, also another favorite part of mine is just getting giddy and excited looking at water and just be able to throw it, even if I'm not going to catch anything, but just having an overwhelming feeling of, I'm going to fish this, I'm going to throw my bait here, and just yeah. all these different options you could have. And I'm just always entertained the whole time. I'm never bored. You know, there's a guy I've been talking to a little bit about fishing who's not a fisherman, but his son wants to get into fishing, so he's interested in learning how to fish, right? Yeah. But he's a big-time uh, sports guy, and he um, he's big into horse racing, which kind of goes hand-in-hand with what we've been doing. And he always talks about the thrill of, you know, winning a bet, even if you only win like two bucks or something. You still won, right? Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel about fishing. It's like every cast I make, I'm making a bet. Yeah. You know, because I'm thinking, okay, that's my spot. I'm, I'm placing, you know, I'm putting my chips down for this cast. And every cast that I make is kind of like placing a bet. And then when I catch a fish, it's kind of like I just won that bet. Yeah. But the beautiful thing about fishing versus uh, sports betting is that I don't lose yeah. anything. <laughs> you know, right. if I yeah. make a guy, I might lose 30 seconds. But like I said, I'm still enjoying just being out here. So, yeah, gaining a beautiful day outdoors. But when I hear those sports guys talk about, you know the the you know money won versus money earned you know money won is twice as sweet as money earned that's a saying i think that's a brandon lang quote um but when i think about that it's kind of like fishing it's, it's the same thing though some reason catching a fish is just sweet you know yeah that's right oh there's that gar sitting right next to me yep i've i've saw another one out there surface as well. I'm, I'm, I'm speed reel in this cast in that i just made not this gar is literally four feet from my feet and I'm just taking a real short cast and I'm gonna drag this crawfish right across that gar's nose. Cause I can <laughs> You might be saying goodbye to it if Mr. Gar hits. I might be, but he's uh this crawfish is right in front of his face right now. I mean he's literally nose down on this crawfish. And speaking of line, I just retied. Oh and I spooked him with it. I, I, a lot of people check your when you're stream fishing, you need to check your line about every 15 minutes or so. And if you feel roughness or abrasion, just take the five minutes and retie. Because I've had some beauties break off because, oh, I haven't retied in two hours. Yep. The, the, the uh, creek bottom is hard. And if I would have hooked that gar, I would definitely be retying. You're right, that could have been a, a good way to lose that bait. Well, I, I lost my last uh, soft plastic jerk bait right here on, when a gar hit it a couple of years ago. <laughs> something, something about prehistoric fish though. Mm -hmm. They they aren't as afraid of you. Like that gar was literally two, three feet from my feet in the water. And that's not something I get from a smallmouth very often. No. Yeah, if, if you get that close, they're fleeing. I still see that gar. He's just about six feet from me. Go back in there and give him one more look at this bait. I don't know. I mean, most people would be like, why are you trying to catch a gar? But for me, it, it's just fun catching fish. And if I can sit here and look at this fish and successfully target him, that's kind of cool to me. Even though it is a trash fish in most people's opinions. I'm like, I have tunnel vision on this gar now. I'm trying to put my bait right in front of him. And he does not want it. Well, he's not hungry, Lee. He might eat your, uh, 
TRD worm if you want to throw yep. it over here. I put on a, a little bit, something called a hula stick, which is a four inch worm with a, a tube type tail and I really like them. I just had it pop. I was telling you earlier, Lee, uh, I actually this morning went and got my first shot, you know? Mm -hmm. And they made me stay at the pharmacy for 15 minutes afterwards and they gave me a 20% off coupon, which is in my opinion, a great sales tactic. Because yes. what, what better way to force somebody to spend money in your store than hand them a coupon and make them stay there? <laughs> so I was walking around, I, I saw a uh, set of polarized sunglasses and that's something a lot of people use when they go fishing, but mm -hmm. I never had, right? Mm -hmm. I, Chad, he doesn't go fishing without a pair. No, he doesn't. But I, uh, I tell you what, I flipped these uh, shades down when I saw that gar next to me and I could really make them out. Oh yeah. They, he they really a, cuts through that glare. A good pair of polarized sunglasses is a must for fishing a, a stream. Do you use them quite a bit? I see you have oh, a pair of I, I, I use them all the time. I like to be able to see, especially when you're waiting, you can see the bottom. Yeah. It takes that glare off. That's the main thing it does. It removes that glare from the water and you can see down there. You can see fish, you can see structure. I kind of gave up on that spot over there that I've been hammering. Now I'm back to fan casting. Yep. Just searching. So I don't know if I should apologize for this podcast to the listeners or not, because I, I just don't know how this audio is going to come across, you know, but I wish that they could be here and see it because it's beautiful. <laughs> no, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful out here. I think it'll be all right. We might hear a little wind, but that, you know, that makes it sound uh, realistic. We might not catch any, any fish though, Lee, anymore. <laughs> Well, I was concerned because it's still a little high and we've got that east wind still today. So when you checked USGS this morning, it was 390. It was 390 CFS. And for wade fishing, I really like around 200. I was, you just read my mind. 150 to 200 is ideal. So we got a little bit more flow here than would be ideal. And on top of that, Lee, we were talking about the coldest May on record, right? Mm, yes. This water temperature is much colder than it's supposed to be this time of year. It, I, I concur. Well, and I'm, up, so, I'm, I'm knee deep right now and I'm thinking I need to go back to the island for a little bit. Well, me and Chad, or Chad and I, I need to start being more proper. Chad and I went to Salt River the other day and we were still catching white bass. And typically you'd think that run would be over a while ago, Did y'all right? film? Did you film a segment? We just went fun fishing. And typically you think that white bass run bite would be over a while ago, mm -hmm. but they were staggered back probably two weeks. And I, I think it has to be the cold temperatures. Yeah. It, Oh, it's, you know, when we've, we've had lows in the high, upper 30s, low 40s. I mean, that just, that hurts in May. Well, what I was getting at is uh, fishing might be a little bit slower right now than it should be for May, but I think everything's just kind of backed up a week or two. I do, I agree. You know, so there's- I think a, everything's two weeks behind schedule. The fishing right now in the creeks might be as it should be in April, yeah. you know? which means that the best fishing might still be right around the corner. Might be a month out. I agree. And the May water is typically one of my very favorite months. May and June both are fantastic. Well, the water temperature when I looked at it earlier was uh, 58 degrees this morning. I've got a That's knot. That's chilly. I've got a knot in my line. See this knot here, Tim? This is the one downside of using braid. But uh, luckily, a lot of times, if you're just gentle with them or you pull on the right loop, a, it'll pop right out. What was that, Lee? Did you get a wind knot? Yeah, it was one of those where I had slack, you know, and it gets twisted on itself. But I think I have got it figured out here. I'm trying to think. So the elk draw is tomorrow, yep. 1 o'clock, right? Tomorrow is uh, May 15th. The elk draw takes place tomorrow at 1 o'clock. 
and that'll be live on, uh, I can't remember the TV station that's covering it. It's one of the Eastern Kentucky TV stations, but the Department of Fish and Wildlife is also gonna share the link on Facebook so you can watch it live. And I will be tuned into that tomorrow, Lee, because I put in for all three. Oh! I just got, bam! I just had bam! Did you see that, Tim? Bam! No. You didn't watch it, you're pointing that camera at me. If you're recording video, you definitely saw it. You see how <laughs> no, it, was, it was cutting off like kind of at your pole. I didn't see what happened. You see this empty hook? Oh, Man, I got it. hammered by something. When I set the hook, it it must have just had the tail end, like the pinchers, off my crawdad imitator. Okay. Because when I yanked uh, to set the hook, I just jerked the bait right off my hook. So that fish, fish got my soft plastics, and I have got to uh, put a new one on. That's also another thing that uh, I've been trying to learn as I continue to fish is when I'm feeling bites and stuff like that, when do I set the hook and when do I start reeling? That's also something else I'm trying to learn. Yeah, that's a very, very good question. Yep. And that well, is something that I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure that you could explain somebody to it, uh, explain it to somebody in a way where they would just have it. You really gotta just try it out. And An easy rule is when you feel that strike, reel all the slack and count to 3,000. That's 3, what I try to do. 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, bam. Okay. That gives them time enough to, you don't want to go too long because then they'll gut, gut hook themselves and that's yeah. no good. Yeah. So I, I, people have asked me that question too and I say just reel in your slack and count to 3,000. I would say that the 3,000 rule is a good rule for, you know, getting started, mm -hmm. um, a good rule of thumb. But really once you get, once you experience it enough, it just becomes a 100% feel. Yeah, I don't, I don't count hardly anymore, but like some fish i'll sit there and i'll get bites for 10 seconds straight and i will never set the hook yeah i just i just had a bam because you bam. You, you can tell bam. when they when that's they have the fish when they have the bait in their mouth and they're swimming with it that's when i'm, I'm i commit yeah but you know um, a lot of those fish will just pick it up and, and play with the tail end of your bait and that's exactly what happened to me when i tried to set the hook a second ago and i lost my soft plastic was i tried to set the hook when i shouldn't have and it cost me a lure Man, when that sun's out, you can really see the bottom. Yep. See my bait, Tim? I'm gonna cast it right in front of you. And this is kind of the action I'm using. I'm just giving it a little, you know, a flutter action. You see how it's it's fluttering up off the bottom and sinking back down? Yeah. And those pinchers are, look like crawdad pinchers when it's fluttering. Hmm. And to get that action, it, like you said, it's partially about the weight that I'm using. I always like to go as light as I can while maintaining contact to my bait. I don't want to go too light because it'll just drift down in the current, but it's sitting on the bottom right now. And I'm pretty much just giving my rod like maybe a four inch or a six inch little quick jerk. And when I'm doing that, it's pulling my bait up off the bottom about four or six inches. And then my bait's just fluttering back down to the bottom. And it's that flutter action that's getting these fish. Yeah. And I like to let it sit and kind of pause on the bottom for, you know, I vary it maybe a second, maybe four seconds, just let it sit in place because that flutter action is going to get the fish's attention then they're going to come over and go nose down on it and it might take them a half a second or a second to decide to bite it or not and if they don't bite it and i flutter it again they might you know be more likely to strike it after that so yeah really I, so like right now me and you are standing here in crystal clear water that's about a foot deep right mm -hmm. and i've got this bait on and say it was the first time i'd ever used this bait i would 100 percent look at it in the water just like we are like right now it's right between me and you and I can see perfectly what this bait looks like coming across the water, you know? Yeah. And as I'm looking at that, like I said, right now it's going about six inches up off the bottom and fluttering back down. If, if I was to look at my bait doing that, you know, in, in the water, I might realize that I wanted it to look different. And I could figure out that if I 
you know, did something different with my rod tip, what, what's my bait gonna look like then? Yeah. So being able to see your bait in the water and then try different things so you can actually see what it looks like down there on the bottom to the fish, I think can be pretty useful. Just practicing before you throw it out. If nothing else, it makes you feel more confident because you know what's going on. Like, you yeah. know your bait looks good if you see what it looks like in the water with your own eyes before you cast it, you know? Yeah. Confidence is, is key. And, uh, you know, when you know exactly what you're presenting to the fish, it's a whole lot easier to be confident. Yeah. I think uh, I'm trying to learn patience with, especially throwing uh, crawdad imitating baits being not wanting to reel it in have a constant reel in but just yeah. letting it float to the bottom giving it a little jerk reeling it just a little bit yeah and that's uh you know different baits you want to work differently of course but if sometimes i go out and i just don't want to be patient like mm -hmm. I, I like feeling the strike on one of these bottom you know bouncing baits a bait that you jig i like feeling the bite but sometimes i just want to go out and rip cast yeah. and reel and so I'll put on a swim bait or something like that. And I would probably have made five times the number of casts so far that I have made if I was throwing a swim bait, which means I could cover a lot more water. Yeah. And another ticket, you know, if the fish are being aggressive, if they're aggressively feeding, you want to cover more water quickly because if you see a fish, you're more likely for it to bite. It's being aggressive, you know? Yeah. If they want to eat, you want to go with a uh, more aggressive approach on your end. So when we came out here today, I'm looking at the water temperature. I'm thinking it, it might possibly be pretty slow, which it has been. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons I went with this crawdad bait is because mm -hmm. it's more likely to get a hesitant fish to bite than a, than a swimming bait is, you know? They mm -hmm. have more time to look at it. They don't have to exert <laughs> as much effort to bite it. You know, you're more likely to get a slow fish to bite a bait like this or a TRD like uh, Lee is throwing than you are a swim bait. Yeah. But like I said, if they are actively chasing bait and you know they're feeding hard, Tie on a swim bait, tie on something you can cover a lot of water with because you're gonna present your bait to more fish and if they wanna eat it, then you're gonna catch more fish. Yeah. Does that make sense at all? Yeah. It's kinda like a tournament bass guys. That's kinda something I picked up from those guys while I was filming is they try to match their, their presentation or how fast they're retrieving their baits to match up perfectly with how aggressive the fish are being. Yeah. Because they want to catch as many fish as possible if they're in a tournament. And the best way to do that is if the fish are feeding hard to present baits as fast as you can. Mm. And if the fish are being sluggish, then you gotta talk them into it. And that's where the work comes in. All right. I'm just sitting here looking at the bottom. These polarized shades have opened up a whole new world to me. I'd really like to, uh, if I see another gar feed up here, I might switch baits and go for something I can target that gar with. It's just so tempting when you see a fish to try to catch it. Yeah. It's very understandable. Oh, it's frustrating though, Tim. When you can see the fish looking at your lure and it still won't bite it, it's <laughs> frustrating. Like there's, there's fish trying to pile up in this area right in front of me. There goes, uh, yeah, there's all kinds of fish trying to pile in here, but they're all rough fish. I don't see any sport fish. Yeah. And that's kind of what these rough fish will do. Like right now, you can see the bottom where we're standing is pretty much all sand, right? Yeah. And they, those fish will come up here, get out of that current, and just kind of feed around, like feeding for mussels or snails. That's probably what those drum and carp are doing. And the gar are probably just up here. I, I think they like the warmer water, and there's a good chance the shallow water that's not moving is gonna warm up quicker. That's just a guess. I can relate with what you're saying, seeing fish. I remember about a year ago, fishing Otter Creek in Richmond, um, going down there and seeing all different kinds of fish. Oh, Otter Creek. I love yeah. Otter Creek too. I know too. I've spent a lot of time out there. Love that's, Silver Creek, Paint Lick too. That's one of my favorite things about creek fishing is all the different species. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
you know, you never really know what you're going to catch. And I like targeting all species, so I have no problem at all coming out here. And if I see a bunch of drum or a bunch of gar switching up, I'm not a smallmouth snob. Are you a smallmouth snob, Lee? Yes, I'm a committed smallmouth snob. <laughs> <laughs> but if I catch a drum, I'm not going to complain. No. I like drum. There's a, quite a few of them in here, too. Oh, gosh, this place is low to a drum. Some big ones. When it's low in the fall, you can see some big ones in some of these deeper holes. Yeah, in the heat of the summer, I see so many. Like when that flow, you know, every year the flow at some point gets down to like 75 or 90. Mm -hmm. You know, when it's low like that, you can just see you them piled see up everywhere. Big drum everywhere. Yep. I'm going to head further down here in a little bit. I'll just let my legs warm up. I'm really surprised how cold the water still is. Yeah, exactly. Normally by the second week of May, it's definitely wet legging time till early fall. But now I a little bit regret not bringing my waders. <laughs> oh, it's good for you, Lee. No, I know. It's invigorating. <laughs> but I definitely will be bringing my waders next week for sure. Yeah, if you went out of state on a fishing trip and didn't at least have them with you, you'd be doing yourself a disservice. Oh, I'd be mad. And the Buffalo National River where we're going drains a mountainous area, so it's that that river is usually cool all summer compared to others. So I suspect it's going to be like this and I will be wearing my waders. I decided to walk back over here well, with you. How deep does it get past that log? Is it weightable? No, it, it shallows up on the other side of that log. Yeah, I think it, yeah. This is, this is the money spot. I'm surprised. Well, I think it's water temperature. I walked up there. I was wanting to, you know, make some casting of deeper water on the other side of that log, but it was so shallow. That log underneath of that log is kind of pitted out. It looks really good there. But I'm going to look over here in these shallows, Lee, and just see if I can spot right. a smallmouth. I'm going to go up where you were a little bit and see if they'll. Yeah, why don't you give them a different bait up there? Yeah, I will. And then I'm different. going to head down toward the, uh, toward the dead tree down there a little bit. I mean, I'm getting hits, but it's just not, not smallmouths. But right now, I would not be a smallmouth snob. If Mr. Drum came and Wanted to visit my lure, I wouldn't mind at all. <laughs> well, I'm going to switch your spots, Lee, and fish uh, fish where you were. A little different presentation over here yeah, for this, That often works. And you know, uh, one of the things that people, too, when, when you're creek fishing, it's a much more intimate environment. So if, if you're going down the, the creek and you come across a group fishing, man, just go on by and let them have that hole. You've got, and then you take the next one. I, do. Um, I, I don't know how many times I've been fishing and people come like park right by you is like you're not there. It's, I mean, drives you crazy. Got another group of gar right here. I think sometimes gar, I was telling Tim, I think gar can put smallmouth down though a little bit. Have you, have you noticed that? Oh, he picked it up. Smoking. No, he, he's just nose on it right now. He's thinking about it. If I had a different bait on, I would feel much more confident. My bait's about to flutter down right on top of one of them. But uh, I really like using like a, a rooster tail or a swim bait or something like that for, for gar. They want to eat minnows more than they want to eat crawfish. It's kind of going back to those questions I was talking to you about. What type of fish and what, what is their food source? And you know, right now I'm throwing the wrong food source to try to catch these gar. But like Lee said, not, he's not going to be a smallmouth snob right now. I'm going to, if I see a fish, I'm going to cast at it. What do gar usually go after? Minnows and little bait fish be much more likely than a, a crawfish to catch them. This one is still thinking about it. He's right there on it. You see, do you see the fish? He's right there. Oh, I see him, yeah. So what I'm gonna do now, Tim, is retie a different bait because 
I have fished with this uh, smallmouth bait for a couple minutes or however long we've been here, and I'm not catching smallmouth. Like I said, I just like catching fish. Yeah. So I've got a gold inline spinner bait, basically a rooster tail or a mips. This one's pretty small, and I'm gonna cut my bait off real quick and tie the spinner bait on. And I think that gar just like the flashiness. You know, I think that they like it when the bait's flashing in front of them. It makes it harder for them to resist it. And that's why I like these little rooster tails. But another advantage of the rooster tail is you see how far back that hook sits. It sits on the very back of the bait, right? Yep. And I probably got two and a half inches before my line starts. And those gar have a lot of teeth, you know? So they would be able to cut right through this line with their teeth. But the bait itself actually kind of acts like a leader where it gives me about two and a half inches of protection when I hook them before. You come on. You got a fish, Lee? Nope. All right, I saved my rig though. All right. Now I got hung. So now, they get, so basically the bait provides protection for the line from the fish just because of how it's made. You know, that hook being all the way on the back? Yeah. So now I'm gonna walk back over here with this bait and see if I can't find those gar again. Do you think uh, fishing with a treble hook, you're giving yourself more of a chance to catch a gar? Well, gar have such beaky snouts, or such a bony snouts, that a single hook is kind of hard to get buried in them, you know? Yeah. Um, just three hooks just gives me that much more opportunity to get a hook in them. With small mouth or something like that, that have a softer mouth, I don't think there's any need whatsoever to throw a treble hook unless your bait just happens to have one already, because you can bury a single hook in the top jaw, the bottom jaw, the side of the jaw, and the small mouth. You can bury a hook anywhere. But with gar, just being as bony yes. as they are, treble hooks help. Did it go down in your boots? Oh yeah, I'm uh, stepping in water right now. I'm on dry <laughs> land. <laughs> All right, I've got these gar in front of me. The problem is this bait is so uh, light that it's wanting to be on top of the surface and these gar on the bottom. You know, I can't reel it fast enough to get the spinner going and keep it down. That's frustrating. I might have to retie again. What are you doing, Lee? I'm going to change up again. I'm, I'm restless until I have one in hand. Okay. So I, I, if, if, it, if I go half hour, I don't get a tap, I'm going to change up. The smallmouth are, you know, some people call them the trout of bass. And sometimes, you know, they'll eat anything you throw out there. And then sometimes, like today, you can throw the same color, but throw a smaller version of the same color, and then you'll start slaying. When you, they're, uh, they like it the way they like it. <laughs> the, the trout of bass. Yep. Where'd you hear that at? I've, I've, I've read it years ago. So I don't think I've ever heard that before. The string smallmouth or the trout of bass. I could kind of see that. I, I, you know, that's one reason smallmouth are probably my favorite of the bass species. Me too. You know, the black bass species is because they are in streams mm -hmm. thick. And I just love fishing creeks and rivers. Oh, me too. It's my favorite, but it's not even close. And I like lake fishing. I mean, I love fishing out of a boat on a lake. That's a lot of fun. They're all fun in their own way. Yeah. Catching crappie on a boat's great. Catching largemouths are fun. But my, my, my passion is Stream doing what we're doing right now. I think that... I would have to say that this is my favorite type of fishing too. And it's not like you catch the biggest fish doing this. No. I don't even think you catch the most fish doing this, but it's something about the environment itself. It is. More and than you see the fish. more birds, more animals. You know, you see deer, you see eagles, you see osprey, you see 
uh, kingfishers, waterfowl, wood ducks all the time. Something about the sound of running water too. And yeah, it's, it just it makes you relax. Man, I got to retire. I'm not happy with this uh, presentation here. I'm seeing so many fish and I'm having a hard time controlling this little lightweight mm -hmm. meps in this current. It's kind of, uh, it doesn't want to get down on the, you know, towards the bottom for me. So I think I- spinner, if you're just beginning, it's a great bait to learn how to catch fish with because it, it, it tracks about every predator fish there is. Uh, inline spinner bait? Yes. Yeah, I agree. I love this bait, but it's not gonna do it for me right now. Now I'm seeing, see, I'm so confused now, Lee, because I came out here wanting to target smallmouth, but now I'm seeing gar and I'm seeing drum. Yeah. And I would target both of those fish completely differently. Yep. So what do I do? Well, uh, try to catch one of them. <laughs> oh, great advice. Oh, I know what I was gonna, if this doesn't work, I'm putting on a bait that uh, is an old school bait. I'm gonna put on a Cabin Creek Lizard. How do you like the fact that we're, uh, you know, honestly, Lee, I, this is really, really slow fishing mm -hmm. for Elkhorn. Like typically I could come out here and I'd feel like I'd probably most times catch a lot more fish than this. Oh yeah. But it kind of makes it, you know, it's probably horrible audio. You know, we're probably convincing almost no one to go fishing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, sometimes it's nice to struggle a little bit. Yeah. That's when, the kind of year I've been having so far. I'm ready to break out of it. All right. When I've planned trips, it's massive cold front or flood. Now I've got myself in the predicament of switching baits too much. Need to go back to that crawl that imitator and stick with it. I know that's what fish here want to eat. I got myself all distracted trying to catch all these other species. And it's not working out. I say we pause the podcast. Tim picks up a pole, takes a few casts, and then we scoot over to the other place, Lee. I totally agree. All right, I'm going to go pause recording and we will be back. I'm going to switch baits again. Everybody's tired of listening to me retie baits. So uh, I'm going to pause this, retie, and then we will come back. I got a nice one. There you go. I just so, had to uh, run over and turn the recorder back on because literally Tim's first cast, he hooked a fish. And then at the exact same time, Lee caught a fish. Yeah. So I ran back over there. It probably looked like a goofball running across the creek. And you lost your bait. I did. I'm very disappointed. I was pretty excited to throw that. What do you got there, Lee? Small mouth. Okay, about a six pounder? Yeah, he's about 26 inches. <laughs> Psych. All right. Well, thank Tim. You a fat little one. Look at that. That's a good small mouth, Lee. Yeah, I'll take it. All right. Skunk off. Good job, Lee. All right. So what did you end up catching that one on, Lee? Um, the, they call them the little twizzlers. It's like a solid tube. It's the Z-Man, but um, my buddy Larry loves these things. He turned me onto them. A solid tube. Yeah. Do you, is it looks, so do you work that? What's the action you use on that? Just, I'm, most of my soft plastics, I just let the current dictate. Do you reel it in or are you jerking it or? I've, I've subtly move it, but mainly I just want it to tumble in the current uh, in a natural fashion. Okay. Um, and now sometimes I'll swim them you know, just above bottom. But usually I let the current dictate. And if, if it gets hung a little bit, I'll pop it. And a lot of times I'll get a hit then. But it kind of looks like the TRD, but it has a little legs coming yeah, off. Yeah, it has a little tube. It's like a TRD with a, a tube tail. That's and this cool. is the, the deal. That was a pretty nice little smallmouth. He was fat. Yeah, it looked good. 
I had I was in the middle of retying. I stopped the podcast, and uh, lo and behold, as soon as I stopped recording, Tim hooks up. You hook up. <laughs> well, that's that's a uh, if if you forget the camera, you catch big fish. Oh yeah. <laughs> if you stop the podcast, we both hook up. See if you can duplicate that, Lee. I hope so. Now that one, I've been having those little pick 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 picks and pat paps. Uh-huh. That one was not. It was like bam. Well, see, that's Wait. weird because you had a good solid hit there, mm-hmm. and at the exact same time, Tim got a good solid hit on the spinnerbait, mm-hmm. which is shows. Like, did that break off? Spinnerbait did. Yeah. So. Um, those are little Strike King. Yeah, it was mini one of those, mags. One of those, yeah, a fairly cheap spinnerbait that I've had that spinnerbait for years. Dang, Tim, you feel bad? <laughs> oh, I, I do. The I know. I've had it for years is because I don't use it. <laughs> well, it's just another opportunity for you to go buy another one. <laughs> oh, thanks for the thanks for the opportunity, Tim. <laughs> you know, the sun's getting up. It could be, you know, the wind's calmed down. It could be, it could yeah. be turning on. That's what I was getting at there, because you had an aggressive strike, and if Tim got a bite on that spinnerbait, that's an aggressive strike. I wonder if, uh, you know, I mean the. The water temperature, we said it's been 58 degrees, but it fluctuates about 15 degrees per day. It, it feels a little warmer. It could be because I'm numb, but it does feel a little warmer. <laughs> could be the sun is out bright now too. Yeah, I mean, the sun's pretty powerful today. You know, I say that all the time, but I really have no idea what it means. Is the sun actually more powerful on other days, on any day than another? No. Well. I mean, this yeah. time of year, we're getting closer to it. That's the whole reason for the seasons. No doubt. But um, I wonder if it has something to do with like, you know, our atmosphere. Could it, could the sun just be coming through cleaner? Yeah, I and think so. When you have low humidity like this and high pressure, I think it does come through cleaner. Because some days the sun just feels like it's beating down on you harder than others. Yeah, I, I yes, I, I, I'm with you on that. Yeah, he hit about right there. So. So is your bait that you're using now, Lee? That that tube bait is that hitting bottom or where's it riding in the water column? I'm, I'm, I'm hitting bottom, like right now I'm on the bottom. I've got a, a one-tenth, which is a kind of a weird, uh, the Z-Man heads have, you know, one-sixth, one-tenth, one-fifteenth, and most of them are one-sixteenth, one-eighth, and one-quarter. So your but fish this came is a one-tenth ounce head, so. So your fish came off the bottom? Yes. Okay. Yours came off the bottom, Tim's was up in the water column. My first fish was down in the water. On the bottom. Are you throwing that? Are you throwing a jerk bait now? I went back to the crawl dead imitator. Okay. It's made by Kitech. I'd have to look and see what it's called, but it's that peanut butter jelly crawfish imitator. Yeah, I saw. I saw those. Kitech makes good stuff. I love Kitech baits. Their soft plastics are great. Yeah. But you know, kind of like the TRD. Oh, well, look at that big gar. I wish I could catch them. I've I've given up on them. What were you saying? Um, like some of your better baits are softer. They're a softer material. And Cabin so, Creek, salty spiders and lizards, I love them, but they're like one fish, two fish per bait. That's the problem with those gulp baits and, you know, Kitex, like the swim baits or these baits, I'll get more than one fish out of them, but not, I'm not, I'm not going to fish with them all day. No, you'll be, you'll go through, um, and the little three inch Cinco's, you can go through a bag of those in an hour. Yeah. <laughs> if they're biting. Yeah. So, but I do think that there's something to, a uh, softer plastic bait seemingly working a little bit better. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure why. That guard just hit right there in front of you again. So we got about what? Probably fish for another five minutes or so, Lee? And call it quits? Sure. Well, it's it's up to you. I told you I was hungry earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, again, 
when we've we've worked our butt off to catch one fish a piece, uh, I don't feel as bad leaving as if we were like smacking a fish every five minutes. Yeah, I probably wouldn't be hungry if that was the case. Yeah. That smallmouth I caught was fat though. He's obviously been eating, or she. The one I caught was really healthy too, really fat. So they're feeding, it's just. I wonder if they're feeding later in the day when the water, cause you, I mean, like I said, the water temperature this morning was 58. By the by tonight, it's gonna be 70. Yeah. You know, so I wonder if they're waiting until it gets to 65 or 66 or somewhere in that range to start feeding. All right, Tim, you ready to call it quits? Yeah. Lee? It's been a great day. We didn't get skunked. We didn't. We caught smallmouths. Yeah, the fishing was slow, but that's yeah. part of it sometimes. I'd yeah. love to say we'd come out here and catch 50 of them, but you know, we're going to be honest about it. We caught oh, a smallmouth apiece. Yes. I got distracted for a little bit trying to catch gar and drum, switching <laughs> baits every five casts. Well, we saw a lot of fish. Yeah, they just, you know, they aren't feeding heavily right now. No, they're not. And the water is just a hair higher than I would prefer. 390 right now with about probably 60 to 62 degree water temperatures right now. I would prefer it be 200, so half the flow with uh, water temperatures closer to the upper 60s or low 70s yeah. probably. And a week and a half that'll be here. Yeah, and that's what it typically is this time of year. But if we just get normal weather, for a while, it'll. So it'll this is the coldest May on record. That's what I've heard on the radio, and I believe it. Yeah, I do too. Well, I, I think I heard uh, on on the, the weather the other morning that March was one of the coldest marches on record. Yeah, so it's cold. It's cold. These fish can't be like. Well, I mean, it. I I can't believe how when I stepped in there, I was like, whoa, man alive. Chilly. All right. Well, I say we call it quits. Uh, go ahead and start walking back across. I'll probably stop the podcast right around in here. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it, Lee. We'll have to come do it again. Yeah, we'll do it again. And later on this summer, when it's a little warmer, we'll do it again. Yeah, I'd I'll, love to do one where we float a section. I'll come down here and get a good fishing report, and then we'll come back when the, we know the fish are biting. It. Yeah, no and doubt. we'll do one of those uh, shows where uh, we catch 50 or 100 or something. Yeah. We Just, did catch some, you know. We a caught fish. Didn't get skunked. Nope. All right, last cast right here. Be great if 18 inch went smack. Wouldn't that be cool? That would be cool. <laughs> I'm not, you know, going to count on it, <laughs> but uh, it would be cool. All right, guys, well, let's call it quits. I appreciate it. No we'll problem. come back down and do it again when the fishing's a little better. Yes. And uh, maybe try a different technique, different body of water. Maybe we'll do a float trip sometime, Lee. Yes, that's what we should do next. As long as we don't. You uh, know, we could put in up there and float around here. It's only three miles. This whole, yeah, this is a great three miles, too. So I say we just uh, come back and do it again, have more luck next time, but I appreciate it. Hopefully we got some good info out there. And, and we caught fish on a tough day, so. Yeah, it's a tough day. All right, well, thanks no guys. No complaints. Appreciate right. it, Tim.